0: the incomparable number 524 july 2020
1: welcome back everybody to the incomparable i'm your host jason snell this episode is about a uh, tv show called Debs, written and directed by alex garland all of it all eight episodes of it it was on Hulu here in the U.S. is part of the FX on Hulu plan where they now make FX originals that don't go on FX, the TV channel. They just go to Hulu <laughs> because they made so many great shows that they had more shows to make, I guess. Something like that. Anyway, uh, it is a story that you would think that we would be interested in talking about because it's kind of a weird science fiction thriller that's about Silicon Valley. And also, yes, it is about free will and determinism and Whether there are parallel universes and there's a machine that is looking back in time, or is it forward in time, or is it... There's a lot going on here, and uh, even though it's been out for a little while now, I I decided that so many panelists on The Incomparable had seen the show that we should probably do an episode about it. Like, this is one of those cases where I didn't watch the show for homework. It just sort of became... Uh, a show that turned into fodder for the incomparable however there is one person here at least who watched the show specifically because he mistakenly volunteered to be on this episode and then had to watch eight hours of a tv show and that is my first guest here it's glenn fleischman glenn thank you for doing the homework
0: well it's hilarious because i didn't realize until watching the show how perfect it was that i accidentally set myself up for it so there you go yeah. i wasn't going to watch the show i'm not going to watch the show i'm not going into that show I've watched the whole
1: show. That's that's how it happens sometimes. Also joining me, fated to be here, Aline Sims. Hello.
2: I'm not the spy. Oh, fair fair (laughs) enough. We knew
1: Brian would be here too. Brian
3: Hamilton, hi. Jason, thank you so much for uh, instilling a no-password open-door policy here at The Incomparable. That's why I'm recording this from Steve Lutz's house. And James
4: Thompson, hello. Uh, I'm scared we might be magicians.
1: (laughs) All right. This is a weird show, and... um. We're going to talk about it because that's what podcasts are for, but I want to have at least a little momentary portion pre-spoiler horn where people <laughs> who are listening to this episode who have not found devs can get a sense about what the show is and why, whether they will want to watch it or not. So let's do that first.
0: Somebody asked me on Twitter that exact question, like spoiler free, They, I mentioned I'd seen devs and was making some spoiler-free jokes about it because, you know, general concept's know And they said, should I watch this? And I said, if you're the kind of person who
3: likes this sort of thing, you should watch
4: Uh, it. That's helpful,
3: Glenn. I'll do you one better. If you liked Ex Machina and won it as a TV show, then go right ahead, you got eight episodes.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's true. It's true. This is essentially the follow-up to Ex Machina, Alex Garland's, uh, I mean, it's not like continuity-wise, but like theme-wise, if you liked Ex Machina, his film, then you will probably like this. Things that I could talk about that are not about the plot, particularly. I mean, we've talked about the themes in 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 broad strokes, but I think I'll start with the look of it. Uh, This is one of the more beautiful, beautifully shot. Lots of shots of the San Francisco area. Lots of like drone shots or helicopter shots that are these beautiful kind of landscapes. Like, I like the look of it. I like the production design. There's some Silicon Valley kind of campus stuff that's got nice production design, and then the actual campus. Uh, for Amaya, this this high tech company where a lot of the events take place, and their sort of secret lab, the devs' lab, is also beautiful. It's all the this gold and is super warm and and very strange looking. Um, so it looks great, sounds great. I think the music is very weird and eerie and um and unique. And it, it just, I think maybe my favorite thing about this whole show is. The tone it strikes, from the visuals to the soundtrack, it's uh, it's I don't know, it, it it felt very beautiful and interesting and weird, and I enjoyed every time I would start an episode, I'd be like, oh yeah, <laughs> it's devs, right? Like it it feels. Of a piece, and I really appreciated that about
3: it. It's a really gorgeous show, and I. The best screen in my house right now is my old iPad, and there were times where I opted to watch the show on the iPad, like I'm looking through a beautiful photo book instead of, you know, on my bigger TV because this show really. Deserves that level of scrutiny and attention to detail and just kind of let it wash over you. I thought it was a really gorgeous, uh, gorgeous show.
4: I mean, I thought the uh, the production and the cinematography and everything was really good. I just didn't like the people or the plot. <laughs> that
1: was well, well that's uh, again, there are issues here too that we'll talk about. It's
2: I, just kind of from a color palette and a. Like the way shots are framed, it's really got a surreal quality to it, kind of almost otherworldly. Like you were talking Uh about the golden palette and kind of the glowing and combined with the soundtrack, which always felt a little, I don't know, surreal is the only word I have where it's just like, huh, is this real life or is this... (laughs) A dream? Or is this an alternate universe? Like, what is happening? Because it just is so – it's not, like, bright every day. You know, it's 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 muted and golden and, and warm and interesting.
0: You know, it reminded me a little bit of Run, Lola, Run, even though uh, that's mm. a very different kind of movie. There's sort of a sense of, like – um, are we in a? I mean, th- there was a sense from the be- very beginning. I did, I, without really knowing anything about the show, it was very rooted, right? There was a lot of scenery and landscape, but often empty, which feels normal to us now, but not when <laughs> they shot it, um, <laughs> which is displacing. That was sort of, but it felt like a like you're looking kind of at a set that is the whole world, and that's sort of like a game world where the set is the whole world and it's rendered to some degree. So I had that sense at the beginning, like, am I watching people go through a scenario and then I'm going to watch them go through another uh, scenario? So, I mean, Run Lola Run isn't set up like that, you know, or Sliding Doors, even for that matter, but even in Run Lola Run, you get the sense that there's going to be kind of A sequence of things that happens, including brutality and confusion, and then maybe something else will happen as well.
1: There's also, I think, some of the the way I would describe some of the shots that we're talking about is that you're seeing them at a remove. It's almost Mm. like you're in a, it's like an out of body experience. Like you're not, you're not down in in it with the people you're you're hovering you're floating above it you're you know and it's weird and, and and it's unreal but it's at a remove which is fitting I think because of the theme of the show and again we're not really believe it or not we're we're kind of not giving away the details no. of the spoilers mm-hmm. we're just talking about like broad strokes if you want to go in with no idea what the show is you shouldn't listen to a podcast at all beforehand
0: mm-hmm. <laughs> well Jason there's even the scale issue like I think you're totally right often they're shooting stuff from above at an angle so we're so far away things look toy-like but we know what they are but then you get you know these giant objects you get bridges yes. or buildings or cubes or statues or of girls statues strangely no, large like. yeah. yeah and the scale is so far off
3: Alex Garland could film someone going grocery shopping and you would feel like it, the world hinged on this person grocery shopping and finding the right brand of pasta or and they something. might
1: like, be murdered at any minute
0: yeah if, you know I thought a, a number of times I thought if somebody likes Andrew Tarkovsky, they could watch this movie without any of the dialogue parts and be very happy because it's oh, got yeah. the, I mean, Solaris is kind of, you know, it's a little ridiculous, but it's also, there were moments where I was like, wow, they're just, they're driving for a while. We're just driving for a while. We're just mm-hmm. going with just it. And like, That's okay. That's, they have the time. They're allowed to have the time. Mm. This is, you know, eight episodes. They, they didn't yeah. stint on the notion that time exists as a function <laughs> in an eight-hour show. I mean, eight-hour
4: I would show. say, did this need to be an eight-hour Uh, our eight episode thing or did it need to be a 45 minute episode of Doctor Who
3: oh Oh, no. See, in anyone else's hands, I would agree they could compress this down into an hour and a half movie. I don't think it's uh, a coincidence that Alex Garland, who made Ex Machina and Annihilation, which are two really beautiful, really slow, really strange movies, (laughs) took as long as he did to tell this story, which I guess rubbed you the wrong way, James. I believe
4: it was the same cinematographer who worked Mm -hmm. on all of them as well. So continuity of look and stuff.
1: It's definitely, though, and that's worth warning people um, going in, like it is... Uh, it is slow-paced. slow paced. It is taking. Yeah. It takes its time. <laughs> its time. You need to be in that frame of mind. Yeah. It, yeah. I. I don't know if it needed to be eight episodes. I mean I could I could say that they ordered eight episodes and therefore it was determined that it would be eight episodes. You wonder about that. But you know, it, I I don't think I would want a four episode version of this. I kind of feel like you do need to have and I watched this week by week because it was released weekly on Hulu. And so I didn't I didn't watch this in a binge or even a slow binge. This was weekly and I kind of appreciated having a week to ponder what i had just seen and and have conversations about what was going on and so i appreciate that but it is absolutely a slow paced thing where you're on the way i would phrase it is something like you're on a conveyor belt and you're moving forward but very slowly but you also know you're moving forward and perhaps there's something terrifying at the end of the conveyor belt mm-hmm. kind of like life anyway <laughs> <laughs> Yeah,
3: I watched the first four episodes week by week as they aired and I loved this show a lot. And I signed up for this episode to, you know, do the homework, finish the season, and watch it. And I thought I only had one episode left. I had four episodes mm-hmm. left. Uh so I had to do a binge this weekend. I watched four episodes over the last, you know, sixteen hours and I liked it but i wish i could have taken some time between them to yep. actually think about things and it's a it's a hard binge but hey time is meaningless now you can take as much time as you want between episodes and come back to it when you're in the mood for it cuz you're right it has a very particular mood you have to be in
0: uh, i just want to speak up for the music not that no one's spoken up for but it's got an incredible soundtrack i, I think the sound design in general is good although it's some places a little heavy-handed in terms of you know the the specific sounds but i think it's uh I think the uh, song soundtrack is amazing, and um, I was joking uh, a number of times after watching this. Like, oh, this uh, music soundtrack, this is like a playlist for Glenn because it's all my favorite things: minimalism, <laughs> throat singing. Uh, yeah, it was. Uh, I was listening to one part. and I'm like, man, that sounds just like Stephen Reich, but I can't believe that Stephen Reich. And I'm like, nope, that's Stephen Reich. that's one of his tape loop things. And I'm like, oh, that sounds like. You know, uh, is that Meredith Monk? Nope, it's uh, in a uh, throat singers. Like, oh, of course it is in a throat singers, <laughs> but uh, very, but very well chosen. Not you know, not exactly obscure, but like uh, a very interesting palette of sounds to choose. And then in the middle, you get Guinevere, which is a beautiful song. I haven't heard for years and years, and it is so incredibly piercing in that beautiful harmony. Uh, with that, uh, uh, is it is it just Crosby? stills nash in that one i can't remember if that's the or if it's all four of them i don't know and that group anyway it's a great song and it's just so piercing and perfect and cuts your heart
4: out um so that that is a very important part of the uh of the series regarding the the music and the, and the sound of it i find it quite interesting as well but a, a friend of mine said that she couldn't watch the show or she did watch the show but oh. she hated the experience of it specifically because of the sound because she found it so grating the sound the sound effects or the sound not the music but the sound well i i think the, the the there's a kind of there isn't really a hard line between the sort yeah. of the music and and the 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 sound design of the whole thing because there's there is all this sort of otherworldly noise going on in pretty much the background of all the scenes yeah it is a character
3: it reminds me of how there will be blood use score where like it is an orchestra for sure but oh my god they do the weirdest things (laughs) with these instruments and really put you on edge i had a hard time watching this show with headphones it's like asmr from hell like everything that they (laughs) like cranked all of the sounds up just the Perfect way to make you uncomfortable even though the things that are happening on screen as you're listening to uncomfortable music... Isn't necessarily jarring, but the two of them together make this entire show filled with dread,
1: ominous. Yeah, this is I think good because if you do decide based on this and ha- you haven't seen it yet to to stop the podcast and watch the show instead um, before finishing, obviously you will return then and listen to the rest of the podcast. Right, right. Yep, the uh, thing you should know is that if you're watching episode one and it looks the way it does and it sounds the way it does and it's not working for you stop because it doesn't change. (laughs) It is it although it is an eight episode series and I don't think it's structured like an eight hour long movie. I do think it is it is split in, you know, I think it's paced in a way where, as we just said, it kind of works as individual installments with some time in between to think about them. And I, I wouldn't want to sit down and watch this, you know, as an eight-hour movie. I don't think it's mm-hmm. built that way. However, if you're waiting, if you, if you watch one and you're like, I don't know, this isn't working for me, stop. Because it, you're just going to get more of the same. You're going to literally this, from frame one, is what this show is. And it'll either work for you. I thought it was brilliant and enthralling, and uh from a technical standpoint just one of the most like unique interesting uh television viewing experiences i've had in a in a long time like it it's so of it itself it is it is devs and it, it has that feel and i love it when a tv show can do that but um if it doesn't strike you the right way run away because it's not gonna do it and we haven't even talked about what the theme is we should at least mention the, the the fundamental theme of devs is is there free will which (laughs) so so the other part of this beyond the look and feel of it is this is this is so it's silicon valley and it's is there free will and if you're if you're guessing that it's something somebody in silicon valley who may or may not have the right intentions invents something that makes us question whether anybody has free will or not and we talk about the big philosophical points of what it all means and we'll we'll do in detail after the spoiler horn but that's what this is about so if a show that is kind of slow paced with weird sounds that's asking big philosophical questions is not for you this is not for you but for me i was like i loved the whole ride and thinking about the philosophy and wondering about the characters so from a a, a, and also i like the silicon valley ness of it that um you you really have to question it's such a a tale of silicon valley of these are brilliant people uh who are not thinking through the things they're doing and the ramifications of them. Or if they're put in a position of power, it's exactly the wrong person to be in that position. And there's a lot of that in devs too, I think.
4: I would say if your bookshelf is sort of divided into uh, issues of Byte magazine and 19th century French philosophy, this is a show.
1: You've already me. seen this show and can continue through the spoiler horn, I think.
0: <laughs> I just realized it actually reminded me of, um, there's also this kind of a uh, weird uh, naivete about it, like a it, little David Lynchian, but not as like bleak as he can be, reminded me actually of all things of Eyes Wide Shut, but not the biggest scenes of excess in it, but the weird moments like Tom Cruise interviewing uh, Alan, um, what's his face, as a hotel clerk asking him like questions that make him uncomfortable, or or seeing Lily Sobieski in a suit a uh, tailor sh- or costume shop or something like there there are moments in that movie that were uncomfortable and weird and empty and i was like oh that's i haven't seen anything quite in that, <laughs> that particular vein since then
3: i'll also throw out a shout out for uh the 2011 movie drive with uh, ryan gosling it's a very similar uh approach to telling a story that is focused on mood character
1: and music More than, say, dialogue or plot. All right. I am going to... We're we're perilously close to the spoiler horn now. But before we do that... No,
0: no, don't do... No, no, not the spoiler. No.
1: But uh, (laughs) I want to mention before we do that, uh, the cast, just to throw that in there uh, for those who are, are thinking about watching this, Nick Offerman is the is your tech CEO. It's sort of Nick Offerman as you've never really seen him before <laughs> yeah. in a lot of ways. Famously <laughs> against technology in general, playing yeah. the CEO and of and, and he he said, you know, he he read the script and he thought it was great and he thought Alex Garland was brilliant and he wanted to do it. I think he's fantastic. In it, I think it actually is interesting to see Nick Offerman play a little bit off of the kind of roles that we, because we know, like, I feel like we know who Nick Offerman is, like, and that Ron Swanson is not that far off from Nick Offerman.
4: I have not seen Parks and Recreation at all. Me neither. Uh, Well, beyond one episode, and I didn't particularly like it. So I came into this pretty much with no... feelings about him and i thought he was really good
0: i've only seen his yule tie is a yule log special actually i think is probably the only thing <laughs> i've seen him in and in and good place
1: yeah I, well anyway i i like nick offerman i like parks and rec and i think that this is not like this is not a role you would expect to see him in and i think he does a really good job as a as a sad creepy tech ceo it's it's a good weird performance and sonya Mizuno as lily who is essentially the main character she works for nick offerman at amaya his software company and she stumbles into a grand conspiracy uh again, this happens in very early in episode one, but she s she is in a part of a grand conspiracy involving her boyfriend and what happens next is I mean, you're probably not going to guess it. <laughs> it's so, like, <laughs> it, it unravels in some spectacularly interesting ways. But anyway, I think she gives a really uh, great performance. And there are a bunch of other s- uh, small and interesting performances. Uh, the other one I wanted to single out is Allison Pill, who you may know because she's Dr. Girardi in Star Trek Picard. She's having a year because she's also in this. And she is a really strange, kind of emotionally disconnected for reasons that might make sense uh tech person who's basically built this uh strange box of uh top secret box inside amaya that is the devs project and i thought allison pill uh i think some plants some of the same notes actually as jaradi in in picard but also some different notes which i thought it was i thought it was an interesting contrast because there's i know why she got cast in both of them and they're not quite like Giardati uh, has way more warmth than Katie does <laughs> but uh they're they're similar I can see why she
4: was cast as both and I w- was watching both of them almost at the same time as well <laughs> which kind of was like, confusing I think
0: she's the I really enjoy her as an actress
4: and when I saw her in Picard, in uh,
0: Picard I had to look it up so I'm like why do I know this face like oh she's in uh in uh, uh, Scott pilgrim saves the universe of course and uh uh but she's got this almost immobile face a lot of the time that is so expressive that it's astonishing. Like she cannot move her face and express emotions. And I think that's an incredible character trait for certain kinds of scientific related characters, mm. honestly. And I think she uses it very effectively. And then it's even more effective when she, you know, her, she becomes animated because like, Oh wait, wow. Oh, she can do that too.
1: I, I think she radiates some, at least to me, some kind of form of, of likability where like mm-hmm. I see her and, and she seems like a real person. And, and like, I, I, she seems nice and, and and likable and then she uses at least in these two roles uses that against <laughs> me right yes. in in some really nice ways where i'm like oh no what what did she do right like it's I, I something about her and i i don't remember her from anything before this year seeing her in these two shows but uh, anyway i think some some and there are other performances we can talk about too but there's a bunch of very interesting characters in this and that's one of the things i liked about it especially those three anything else we should talk about before we blow the spoiler horn and and uh, really get into it. You will know almost immediately if this is a show that's for you and trust your instinct. <laughs> oh, Oh, actually there is one more thing that I wanted to mention, which is the ending. Um, and, and I know you're saying, why are you talking about the ending before the spoiler horn? <laughs> I, I want to talk about it without spoilers, but I'm going to yeah. say that this is one of those shows and you may feel differently if you walk all the way to the end of it, but this is one of those shows that I really believe that if everything we've talked about now makes you interested in it, I really believe you should watch it. However, speaking for myself and many of, I don't know about all of you, but many people I've talked to about this show, the ending is kind of a letdown. It is. I'm disappointed with how the show ended, but I really enjoyed the ride. And for me, that's enough. If you're somebody who really gets angry, (laughs) When when a thing you've invested eight hours in doesn't end well, also you should
4: skip devs is what I'm saying. I went into it and I, as I was watching it through the episodes, I couldn't decide if I liked the show or not. And I was like at that sort of 50-50 level throughout the whole thing. And there was lots of stuff I liked about it and there was lots of stuff I didn't like about it. And then when I got to the ending, I was like... Ah, I didn't like this show. Oh,
1: no.
4: <laughs> yeah, I, I was much more positive about, it, although still mixed. Of like, this is
1: weird, but I enjoyed the ride. I enjoyed taking the ride myself. Anyway, yeah,
0: the uh, that's exactly what I. Strangely enough, uh, perhaps we're replaying this. This is exactly what I told somebody on on Twitter. Is like, if you don't mind getting angry at the end, then you should watch the whole thing. But you might get angry at the end, but it's worth.
4: Yeah, exactly. I mean, the, the thing is, it's a puzzle box type yeah. show to a certain extent, and a lot of the time those fail because people have come up with much more interesting uh, solutions to the puzzle. And then when you finally get there, oh, it's that.
1: Well, that is the challenge of going week by week, too, as opposed to a movie where you watch it start to finish, is that when you go be week by week, you and everybody you know and the internet can spend time theorizing, which is fun, but it also means that you will probably exhaust every single possible answer and some of them may actually be better than the than what what the creator better to you <laughs> than what the creator wanted to do and that's the downside of of having that amount of time to think about it i'm one of those people though like i love lost i think lost is a fantastic show and there are people who are so against it some of them because of the contents of the show overall a lot of them mentioned the ending though and i never really got that because that show took me on a ride for like seven years where i every episode i i was like completely enthralled and at the end i i didn't hate the ending but i admit that they kind of didn't stick the landing and it does but it doesn't matter to me but if it if it really really matters to you you may have a problem
0: right as opposed to something (laughs) like good place the good place i think developed things pretty consistently over four seasons. And I think they stuck the landing as best as you possibly could for a set of concepts like that. And so it's very satisfying
4: as a whole. You don't have to go back and say, oh, maybe I didn't like the show as much because this is what they were working towards. Yeah. I mean, I would say it's not really a case of the show whether it sticks the landing. You know, I think it climbed to like 30,000 feet in the first episode and then just slowly glided into a mountain. <laughs>
1: Wow. Well, I will I will say I was torn about discussing devs because I have a lot of problems with some of it. But I also think there's so much that's commendable about it, which is why this whole episode up to now has been framed as this kind of case for, case against, do you really even want to watch this thing? Is like you really have I think it's got some very specific people for whom it is very much worth watching, even though you may in the end come away disappointed because I'm okay with <laughs> it. I'm okay investing eight hours in something that is fascinating and different and kind of beautiful, even if it's kind of a mess. So, or, or, or glides into a mountain, you know, everybody's got a different take on that kind of thing.
4: All right. Here's the spoiler horn. It felt to me like the whole thing was based around uh, the pun of trying to do deus ex machina, yeah, yeah.
3: Well, there it is. I <laughs> loved that moment. I loved it so much, and I don't think the rest of the show hinged on it. It was a single line, and I thought it came at the perfect time. But
4: it's like it, the devs Deus play, and I mean, it's a clever play uh, on words, uh, but it just felt like like okay, so so we've got Deus God. We can write that as devs. That gives us us you know our Silicon Valley setting yep and let's just work it from there and (sighs) but i
0: thought he was making fun of himself a little bit it was such a lame thing he's like he's like you know i was writing it with a v roman v and a little inside joke and i think i thought it was him both admitting the extent of his uh ambition and also realizing what a dope he was (laughs) <laughs> there was a there was an
4: interview with Alex Garland where he basically said that was him speaking through yeah. Forrest at that point.
1: That, that's what I was going to say is that is that I think it's not it, it doesn't bother me, but that seems like a real cut your darlings kind of moment where like I know it was the premise upon which you built this whole thing, but. You don't need to say it. Like you don't need, say it in the interview. Mm. Say it in yeah. the interview after the episode airs that you know it's actually Deus, haha, <laughs> because it's Deus Ex Machina, and this was about making a god out of a computer and all that. The character does not need to say it. It, it felt a little too precious and a little too much authorial insertion for me. Um, didn't I mean it? I was gonna say it didn't ruin the ending. I said, well, it 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 didn't materially contribute to the ruining of the ending <laughs> it came pre-ruined oh, that, that's i live for that i live for the one
3: of my favorite directors being like hey whisper whisper wink wink <gasps> that's and i like, yeah i didn't get it until he said it I was like Oh, yeah, that makes sense. Maybe I'm the sucker here. And like, I just enjoyed being taken along for the ride of the ending more than I did the rest of the show. But that's that's where I am.
4: All right. I I mean, I generally like when the writer of a show is cleverer than I am. And I don't see something coming. And I didn't for this either for the for the the devs dais thing. But some of them, you know, I I like will admit the superiority of whoever wrote it and and go go with it. And this one, it just made me cross.
1: So this is we should, so we should say, just to be on the record about this, because I know there are people who listen to this podcast and probably a lot of people we convince not to watch it and just continue listening to the podcast uh, after uh, the spoiler <laughs> horn. So you know, the premise here is that uh, Nick Offerman is Forrest, he's the CEO of Amaya. It's named for his daughter who died in a in a traffic accident. And there is a secret part of this giant Silicon Valley campus that you know, he's a reclusive billionaire, basically tech billionaire. Um, that is a special group that's off in the woods. Uh, it's be- I think they shot it at UC Santa Cruz. It's beautiful. The setting is, it's like all these, these woods and there are these weird trees with like halo lights around them. And then you go off and then you're in this weird gold box that is the Devs Project. And the show begins with Sergey, uh, who is Lily's boyfriend. He gets promoted to be in Devs. And and he goes there, and Devs is revealed to him. And the idea here is that they have invented a quantum computer, essentially that can, using mumbo jumbo that is not real science, but uh, essentially can predict every uh, the location of every atom in the universe. And then using the math of the quantum computer, they can wind it back. They can run a simulation that can wind time backward, so that they can like see Jesus on the cross, and and which is. Which, okay, I'll, I'll, I have some issues with that too. Uh, and then then the issue there is that if they can do this and they can also do it forward, then they've proven that the entire universe is deterministic. If they can use the presence of all the atoms in the universe right now and then just use the math to go backward from them into history, what they're basically saying is this is a deterministic universe. There's no free will. Everything is a clock that has been wound up and is running. And all the things that we think are free will aren't. And therefore, this is this is not just a huge uh, discovery, but it's it's also this uh, you know it's a change in how we view our lives and uh, and reality and everything else. I just wanted to point out as a side note, inventing a machine that can see any event in history is itself a large series of science fiction novels, right? Just the ability oh, yeah. to like yeah. and th- and that's barely even touched on. Like you can literally answer every question of history ever with this machine.
0: Especially when they could do multi-camera edits. That's the <laughs> right.
1: Right. I-, I-, I accepted that because I figured, you know, they just built that into the uh, built that into the software. Exactly. So I but anyway, so that's the idea. And, and then everything else around this, and Sergey uh, doesn't like it, and—oh, and, no, Sergey is, is a—boy, there's so much here. Sergei is a plant by the Russians in order to steal the technology of Amaya and of devs, and they find him out, and they kill him, and they fake his death. And this is where Lily comes in is that her boyfriend has disappeared. And then when he reappears and we know he's dead, he's been killed by the by uh, the security guy who is super threatening, Kenton. And then they show fake video footage that looks real of him setting himself on fire. And then uh, she doesn't believe it. And she is she is contacted by his handler uh so she knows he's a spy and and this begins the kind of unraveling as lily begins to unravel this and then of course as we discover all the people involved in in devs know that lily is going to unravel this because they've been watching the future which they're not supposed to do they've been watching the future and the future leads them to a moment where lily comes to devs and something happens and then there's no viewable future beyond that point and that's the the kind of twist that makes you wonder what is going to happen next so that's that's the structure of this
0: i think it's worth pointing out at the very outset too is that the show is set up i because I, I went to this with no not less than knowledge because i accidentally ag- agreed yes. to uh, watch it and i did want to watch it in fact <laughs> and now i have and now i have watched it i've always wanted to watch it uh and um but sergey seems to be i'm like this seems like a pretty bland guy to pin the show on mm. but maybe this is going to develop we're watching him the camera follows him through his life he's achieving this sort of uh you know he oh wow he gets this much better job he finds out this terrible secret he may have a secret of his own and I'm like okay so where does this go and then and then he's killed and I was like that to me because I I, I don't know maybe everyone else went into it, expecting uh Lily to be the main character I don't know how well everyone knew the set up okay so I thought that was great because you know it was this whole it was a fate and it's like oh he's now dead in a horrible, brutal manner, and now we get to find out what the actual, who is the protagonist of this particular
3: drama. I love fake-outs like that when uh, when shows do that. Like, here's your main character. Oh, nope, he, they're dead. And uh, now here's a totally <laughs> other main character for you to spend the rest of the show with. Yeah. One thing I will say about Lily being the main character of the show is I am, I'm realizing about myself that I do not like the kind of dramatic irony where we, as an audience, know exactly what happened to Sergei from the word go, but we spend five episodes with Lily as she's investigating the thing we already know. Mm. And yet there's other things that go on for sure. And I really like enjoyed learning more about Amaya and the government things that were going on there and Lily's own character development with uh, with Jamie. But I really didn't like that we spent the entire time waiting for the moment that she learns what we've known for five episodes. I really didn't enjoy that.
0: Oh, but Brian, that's, that's what Forrest... And Katie have known all along, though. They were actually recapitulating their experience and understanding the future while we watched Lily try to understand (laughs) Uh, what what we already know because we're the super observers who've seen the event.
4: I have a question. When we first see the machine, it's only capable of like some flickery static and maybe, you know, some little bits of sound or whatever. And at that point, did they know what was going to happen? Or did they figure that out after, like, the thing got plugged into the multiverse and went HD?
3: I think the issue was that they were looking too Too far far back- and as the computer got better and better they were able to see like in that last episode that like first person in the cave they're able to see that in crystal clear 4k but they were able to see the future in crystal clear because that that's the future they have all the atoms they can see things from today and I remember there was a moment where uh, like the first glimpse that Forrest had of Amaya in the box was like oh oh wow that's a huge moment and then later yeah that moment's in 4k as well so I, I think it, it had to do with the distance from where you are in time looking back at the past it
4: was kind of like just in terms of plot it's like did they know that sergey was going to do the like try and take pictures of the code oh yeah absolutely absolutely yeah i think so
0: my explanation of why i was like you know because they seem when the murder happens it's so incredibly brutal and also banal like kenton is a Trained killer. It's not a big deal for him. But the two of them standing there so emotionless to me at the time, I thought, well, this is these are horrible people. And as it develops, we're going to find out how horrible they are. And it develops. We find out they aren't. And then I realize, of course, they're inured to it. They've watched it over and over and over again. They know this is exactly what's happening. So their emotional response in the moment is, even though it should be predestined to be whatever it would be, is muted because they've, they're they prepared for it.
3: Yeah, there's a moment at the very end where Nick Offerman says, hey, Katie, it's going to be OK. And Alison Pill screams, I don't know why you say that. And not in a, I don't know why you're saying that, but in that she's watched this moment over and over again and her bottled up emotions in the past building up to this moment saying, I don't know why this moment is in the recording I've seen a dozen times. I think that was brilliant. And that little flip Uh of, I don't know Mm -hmm. why you're saying that to, I don't know why you say that. I thought that was one of the best things in the show. Well, that's
1: that's one of the very clever things about this is the premise. And this is why I like this because it's a... A science fiction novel, more like this, please. I, I know we have our issues with it, but like to have a creator who wrote and directed and has a vision that is essentially a science fiction novel in eight episodes, and it has a beginning and an end. But one of the things that I love about it is the premise, just science fiction novel kind of premise, which is you are shown what will happen and everything in it does happen. What what does that like what does that mean? How do you react? You can't change it. So your reaction later when you're living it is the reaction you saw. Are you a puppet, or are you acting it out, or are you just naturally reacting and doing exactly what was fated? And they they do explore that, and they do that's That is you know kind of the argument for why they're watching it dispassionately when Sergey is killed is because they they view themselves at various points in here as puppets. Uh, because of this being revealed, what I thought was fascinating is that we get the debate where Linden, uh, young uh, engineer Linden, is convinced that the solution to sound, adding sound to the visuals is to use the many words worlds hypothesis the idea that there isn't one reality that's deterministic and in fact there are lots of different things that can happen because uh there are just through quantum physics there are different universes branching off at every point point. and when linden who interestingly is um played by a woman but is a male character which is a very interesting casting decision that they made um linden decides to do it anyway, even though he's been forbidden to use the many worlds hypothesis. And it totally works. And that leads to some fascinating dynamics because there's this question of like, if you've got a person in a position of authority who has a core belief, which Forrest has, that he's holding onto, which is there's only one reality, then when it's challenged, how does the organization react? And in this case, the organization doesn't react well. Lyndon is fired. And then later Lyndon dies in a very very strange scene involving predestination and Katie essentially saying, uh, well, you know, you're, you'll either jump or you won't, but you'll be alive in some universes. If, if, uh, if many worlds is true and that, which is such a strange moment. I say all this to say that I, one of the smartest things about devs that I've heard comes from my wife who said, this is a show about sick people who have a belief that is almost cult-like in a thing that is not true. And they suppress anyone who dares to believe something else. And we could take that and say that that we could apply that to anything in Silicon Valley or anything in humanity. But I think she's got a really good point, which is at its core, what devs is, is about a bunch of people who are deluded into thinking that nothing they do matters because everything is deterministic and they are continuing to behave throughout this whole season as if there's nothing they can do and that they're absolved from all their terrible behavior because of determinism and it is lily in episode eight who basically (laughs) says no there is free will you are a bunch of morons and she's absolutely right and at that moment i looked at lauren and i was like yeah you're right you got it
4: (laughs) the the thing i took from it was that the reason forrest is so invested in this is because if determinism is true it's not his fault that his daughter died that's exactly
1: it that's that's the core of it
4: Right, That's the core of it. And and then he builds this
1: culture in Debs entirely around that. I mean, this guy was messed up to begin with. He names his company after his daughter. He builds an enormous statue of her. And he's completely obsessed with seeing her or getting back to her or whatever. Yeah.
2: I watched this. And once you kind of cotton on to what's happening, just thinking about um, all of the things that we in tech are criticized for, like the hubris of this man. Yeah. And the presumably billions of dollars he spent on this project to uh, not even to like prove that his theory is true, but to like try to bend reality to his will. It it was just like it was so it was painful you know like once we get to those parts it's like this is why people hate tech workers because <laughs> you know great. like it's everything that we hate about this industry is encapsulated in this one like guy who who truly at his core believes he is humble who has this you know we've said kind of cult following mm-hmm. um of people and it, it's it's just like this really I don't even know that it's a really exaggerated look of Silicon Valley. No, but
1: it is the the perfect metaphor, right? Which is it's a person who is spectacularly unqualified to have, in this case, the power of God, essentially, placed in his hands. He invents God. And he and this is right. I mean, that's the perfect metaphor. It is somebody who is not there because they're qualified is not somebody who is really morally suited to do this because nobody is who's been given enormous amounts of power. And and the Forest is a stand in for all of that in this extreme science fictional example.
0: Let me bring up two more things, though. If you read the Wikipedia page, as I did, uh, Amaya, the girl in the in the show, her name is Amaya and she's Sonia Mizuno's niece. And I'm like, there's something super creepy and weird to me. It's like, I was like, am I in the simulation now? Like they named Amaya after the girl's real name. And then the other part is, to me, that is super creepy is at the very end when he's in what he calls paradise, even though it's just life, even though we know a pandemic's coming, right? (laughs) He considers this paradise, right? Does he? What control does he exercise over it? She's the wrong age. Amaya's the wrong age at the end. And you're like, Uh. oh, creepy. Did he like I I was waiting for that because he froze his daughter in time at the age that was convenient for her because they're now in the present and
3: she died years before. Yeah. Mm -hmm. He doesn't care about her growth. Like he he doesn't (laughs) want her to grow into like a teenager and have to deal with like loaning her the car or whatever. Like
4: it's paradise for him, Mm -hmm. not for her. So what was his end game? Because I was somewhat confused as we got towards the (sighs) end of the series. Was he trying to pull another Amaya into his universe?
3: I think he was preparing for his eventual death. Yep. And preparing the dev simulation, or deus simulation, whatever, to prepare him for his own paradise. And he was very kind and brought Lily along too.
0: Yeah. Oh, but I disagree. I think he was, I thought, huh. I thought he, you know, that's that episode in which he's uh, recruits Katie and she says, you know, he says, this is a trial and you're the, what does he say? He says, you're the prosecution. I can't remember exactly what that's phrased, but it's basically his notion is that devs, if he succeeds with it and proves a deterministic universe, then he had no fault and then he gets to go on with his life or something. But if he proves, if the many worlds uh, uh, hypothesis is accurate, then he made a choice, and it was the wrong choice, and he killed his. He's responsible, at least, for the death of, or partly responsible for the death of his wife and daughter, and thus he has culpability. He has guilt, so he's trying to absolve himself from guilt is the end game. But I don't know what happens to him at the point at which that's perfected.
4: I, I, I would also point out he he doesn't seem to be that guilty about his wife's death. No, yeah. not at all. No. No. No,
0: no, it's creepy. It's very creepy. Well, I
1: and I think that I think that speaks to the level of obsession too yeah. that it, it he is obsessed over the lost potential and whatever of his daughter and I, i'm sure well i mean we could who knows it's forrest whether he was sad i would imagine he was very sad about his wife dying too but like that's not the part that he got obsessed about he got obsessed yeah, about his no. daughter and then built an entire structure around it. in terms of the end game it's hard to tell because the last episode is kind of a mess but i kind of feel like he either wants absolution which is the determinism of it or i think maybe he's also potentially building a place you know a simulation for him to to live uh the the thing the thing that's strange is his pre- his hatred of the many worlds hypothesis while is letting him escape or not letting him escape fault in his daughter's death also would comfort him in the sense that his daughter would also be alive oh 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 but the so yeah, so there's these
0: two competing things going on, right? We get to see Katie watching multiple versions of that moment, in some of which, when she's put the Money Worlds algorithm into the visual part, in some of which Forrest's family is killed and some not. So we know that there are many interpretation or many things could happen there, but when then you contrast it against the moment with Lyndon, in every version, Lyndon dies. She's lying to Lyndon. Lyndon doesn't know that he's being lied to but she's obviously lying there's no world that we see so i thought that is the contrast Hmm. but i mean that was my interpretation of it is that she's saying these words but she knows that lyndon never lives
3: i was expecting the crux of the show to be forrester is proven wrong about the many worlds theory and so he winds up trying to get into another universe somehow. Uh-huh. Oh. And then they started talking about the cells and the way that they were able to track every single particle in the world. So I thought maybe they would 3D print another Amaya based on the exact clone of her cells or something like that. All the shots of like, yeah. the dead mouse and the clock yeah. and the things that mm-hmm. seemed like they were scanning. I thought they were trying to replicate.
1: That's what I thought they were going to do is they were going to find a perfect moment of Amaya and then make her or move her or build her or something like that Distract her from time yeah
4: i mean that's where i thought they were going with the parallel universe stuff partially probably because i've been watching fringe recently but (laughs) i wasn't sure in that scene how much they were scanning and how much they were creating and it, it it got well i was confused anyway okay my other confusion how did uh, they end up getting river songed into the computer at the end. Well, I was yeah, yeah.
1: actually just going to mention that, which is that's one of the parts of the ending that I don't that I that I don't like is there is no suggestion before this point that they have some ability to scan their bodies and then place them in a simulation of the world that is all thrown out there at the very end.
0: They didn't scan the bodies, though. Her explanation is that they took the state of
1: right of the virtual the- machine of their moment at mm-hmm. the moment of death and then copied it. But that means they're still they're still dead, but they're also right. running a copy of them as running in a simulation, which is yeah. running in death.
0: And I'm like, is that? Con-? Then you get into the whole is your consciousness transferable? If your consciousness exists and multiple, <laughs> yeah. but it doesn't. It's like they're not a lot. I mean, but they're they're dead. They died. I <laughs> yes. thought what was going to happen at the end to be honest. I thought we were going to pull back out of the box into the box that contained the box, and maybe the box that contained <laughs> that. But we didn't get
3: that. I took the scanning their consciousness into the simulation at the end to mean that because they can have, they, they can track every single particle in the world, in the universe again, uh, That then that means they can effectively track their neurons and brain connections and things. So they took those cells, interpreted that as some sort of like, here is how your brain works. It's like a backblaze backup of your brain. And then run that program in the simulation. That's how I read that
4: to be. I mean, I would have been happier if there had been a shot at the end of Katie hitting a big save button or something (laughs) and then saying, well, I better keep this thing on for a long time then. (laughs) Yeah, I haven't even
1: mentioned Stuart, who presses essentially the button to make sure, because there's a the moment in the last episode where they're like, oh, we've avoided it. Everything is going to be fine now. We are not going to have this terrible thing. And Stuart's like, no, I am destroying this entire thing because this whole thing is so messed up that I'm going to destroy it. And he's the one who's essentially responsible for Forrest and Lily's deaths, as well as the sort of explosion of, you know, the, the, the what vacuum chamber kind of thing that happens in the devs uh, building. but. I, I and Forrest another interesting character there you know we do get to meet the other characters in the devs in the devs group and Forrest spends a lot of time with Lyndon Stuart and Forrest has his own kind of philosophy about it but I don't I don't know I just I, I thought the way it was going at the end and maybe this is some of what I wanted to happen and it's obviously not what Alex Garland wanted to happen is I wanted it to all pivot around the moment of them of them realizing that free will exists And that they were wrong and that they've been acting like maniacs because they (laughs) thought that they were puppets, but they were actually just as terrible. They chose to be as terrible as they were all along and that that would, which does happen. But then it leads to this kind of, oh yeah, but then everybody dies, but then sort of not in their, in a simulation and we should keep the simulation running, please, Senator. And that part of it was like, eh, like that felt to me like, well, I guess I got to end this. And that Alex Garland kind of struggled with a, a dramatic ending. Cause I, I don't like, I I don't mind seeing a parallel universe where uh forest is with his family at the end. But like this forest doesn't get that he doesn't deserve it and he doesn't, he shouldn't get it.
0: Well, and he doesn't, <clears throat> if they'd done it well, I think you'd see that. I mean, I, the correct ending of this show as, as from my super observer <laughs> position, when I adjust the dials, is that I thought Lily was going to rebel. You know, it's sort of like the throw me out of heaven kind of bit. Like she's been her, you know, We talked about a bunch of stuff. I want to talk about Lily. Can we talk about Lily a minute? Is yes, I feel like Lily has had so little agency by design. I think the actress is exoticized. Um, Someone on Twitter asked me to bring up the point like, why is she never wearing pants? Or in England, why is she always shown wearing pants? Uh, Or the UK, Um, that she's you know, she's often presented in states of undress, she's often the victim of other people's actions. She gets kind of one moment of agency, but even that has been predicted for her. So the character and even the actress gets kind of moved through this like they're a, you know, a doll being moved into position. And and I I do like the actress and I think she does a good job. But at the end, what I thought we were going to have is the exile from heaven or I'd hoped, but you get this warm glow and there's Forrest with his age arrested daughter, which (laughs) I'm like, I'm doing the math and I'm like, she should be like 13 now or 15. I don't know. And, uh, and then Lily asks for an explanation. Then Forrest has her his hands all over. I don't know if, That made other people uncomfortable. He keeps putting his hand on her shoulder and her back and touch. And it's like, she's not interested in that. And I'm like, I thought that was the moment at which she was going to say, you have created a creepy dollhouse for yourself and I'm not going to be part of it. And instead, it's like, nope, let's save this version. Everybody's happy now because she's left Sergey, who is a spy.
3: Yeah. I mean, ditto her role in Ex Machina, which is a similar level of exoticism and Treatment. I have not seen that. It, it's good.
2: Watch yeah, it. and and can we talk about? I don't know if it's just me, and this is why the ending was so unsatisfactory. But I don't know that I would be content to live in a computer simulation. Right. You know that that part is really strange to me. Like, okay, you are dead, but but your consciousness is kind of alive, but not. it's just really really weird and then and then i think about jamie and he's kind of dragged into this but he's not really because it's lily's interpretation of who jamie should be in this like it's just right
0: wow that's creepy i didn't think about
2: that really kind of it's really messy and it's gross i think
1: the Jamie in the simulation is Jamie, right? He's a perfectly simulated, and then it moves forward. So he should react exactly. He's not hes not been invented by her. She's just... Yes. It, I would view that as like time travel. She's essentially choosing a different path, except... It is in this simulation, which I I agree is I don't know I mean I don't know what to say about it like I just think the end is bad I think that the, it's a, it was a huge mistake and I think Alex Garland ran out of road and didn't know how to didn't know how to wrap it up and he wanted I think he may have also had a vision of what he wanted as the ending but didn't properly connect it to the rest of the show because that's where it it really falls apart is I honestly if they had ended the show with um lily showing all of these morons that free will is real and that they are they are awful and not puppets doing awful things because of an invisible puppet master and then even at that point if they um if they blow up the the whole thing right if Stuart's like nope that's it let's blow it up i would have been happy i actually think the coda made (laughs) me made me angrier Because the coda, because it's such a great moment of like, is there free will? You get this escalation to the moment of like, what happens after the thing that they can't see in front of? And the answer is, in that moment, what happens is that Lily makes a choice that they their system couldn't foresee or you know, whatever it is, it's like, it's a true act of free will. And I've seen some people say like, Lily was obviously very special and she's a unique person who can create an act of free will. And I'm like, yeah, I don't think so. I think that this is a moment where she had some choices and she made one and they couldn't foresee what choice she would make. I love all of that. I think that's a great moment of like, wait, this is all pivoting on literally a moment of free will. You've set me up for this. Great. But like after that, it's, i don't know i I mean after that it lost all of my goodwill toward it (laughs) because we end up with like you know a sim uh, the river song simulation and now he gets to be with his a simulation of his daughter and like i don't know that that's the part that that made me angry
4: in the simulation there's no devs right right as well so because the the daughter didn't die the wife didn't die even though they didn't age, but there's no devs so that they can't like, I don't know. The the, the sort of, there would have been more interesting things as if that still existed.
0: And you know, they're setting them up for it because uh, I, I kind of dug into one aspect of this. Stuart, a stu- like, so you have Lily, Forest, and Linden. You have all these tree names, right? So, or f- flower tree names, things, right? And I thought, well, that's a theme, like, not sure. And then you have Stuart, like a steward of things. And I was like, huh? But the the way he acts, I'm, I mean, I'm not trying to dig into uh, do a symbology here, but uh, the way he acts at the end, he's standing there, he's Charon, he's guarding the, uh, the passageway over the river left. To the afterlife in Mm. Greek mythology, and he's even staying there. And I can't figure out whether he's supposed to be pretentious by citing Shakespeare, um, because he is presented in some ways as kind of this pretentious older figure. He's a mentor, but he also, uh, you know, is kind of spouting out like all the old stuff's better kind of thing. So then he, of course, reads Yeats. You know, you just said things fall apart, Jasons, because the center cannot hold. Yeah. So he gets to use. I love the poem. It's horribly overused. And I'm wondering, does Gardner think he's being clever to use it? Or does he recognize that it's it is almost a trope? And so hearing Stuart say it, you have this, you know, the figure watching the boat go over the river and he sinks the boat. And um, and so I actually thought they were gonna do more with that. Like, is this heaven? No, it's hell. That's supposed to be Charon, and then that then he just walks off. There's all these dead bodies at the end. All these people <laughs> have died all over the place. A Russian operation is a dead Russian in a garage. Yeah. There's the Russian operative. And everyone's just like, well, let's just keep devs running. That's the point. And so yeah, yeah did cut I and I say this, I don't mean to be so negative, because I really did I agree. I liked the first seven and a half, you know, <laughs> the eighths of it very much. I really thought, <laughs> and this doesn't. To me, at one level, the many worlds interpretation indicates that this is the bad version we saw. There's another one out there that's
3: better. (laughs) I, I, to, to me the most clumsy part about the last episode was uh, Pete the homeless guy coming in and killing everyone which was a cool action <laughs> moment too, no, but just, then just sitting one person, Lily... just kills one person oh right, right, there's two people there but <laughs> I, I think the, the most clunky thing about that was Pete the homeless guy sitting Lily down saying listen your life is over you can either go back to Hong Kong or work with the CIA for the rest of your life and I don't think that's true, that sets up to me the idea that Lily would want to live in this simulation where things are good that is why I think she stays because 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 pete put in her head that her life on earth is over and there's no way to you know go to go on moving from that i disagree i think she could have like cozied up with um uh with the other amaya people with nick offerman because apparently he's richer than god and can make any sort of legal things happen and just like cover it all up because again he's a silicon valley person but i thought setting up that ending by having the secret russian operative say that your life is over, there's nothing else you can do. I thought that was really ham-fisted and clunky.
4: Yeah, I mean that I did think he was Pete the suspicious homeless guy from the first <laughs> episode. Yeah. 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 But I, in, regarding the naming, um, I was wondering with Lily if it was supposed to be Lilith, uh, in a biblical oh. sense. Um and yeah, I mean there's there's a lot of the 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 stuff where the ending just uh, it didn't answer the questions and it just gave me more questions and I didn't like those questions. Uh, and I'm annoyed at the show because it made me go and look up uh, philosophy uh, oh, that's stuff. The, the truest uh, criminal act of the show. <laughs> yes. Making you learn philosophy things. Laplace's Demon. Yes. Uh, from Pierre-Simon Laplace. Look that up.
0: I would like to, I, I think, um, I think it's worth talking about uh, the incredible theme of violence through this and how it's represented because it's, I don't, I can't think of a show that has, that I've seen recently that isn't like outright like an action thriller kind of thing that has just the incredible brutality, some of it very banal. I mean, we watch a man have his neck broken, fingers like there's just, it's the sheer volume of most of it committed by Kenton also.
1: Yes. Great, uh, great villain. Like I enjoy, I enjoy yeah. how villainous uh, Kenton is very Mike Armentrout from uh, breaking bad. He's like, I, I mm. yeah, he's, oh, so. he's just a bad guy who does bad stuff and that's his job. And every time you think fu- fuzzy thoughts about Forrest and, Oh, you know, it's so sad he lost his daughter and all that. Like, no, no, because he employs Kenton and he knows very well all the <laughs> dirty work that Kenton does. And, uh, but he's, a, he's a threatening, I, I really enjoyed that sequence involving, um, uh, Lily escaping from him, she makes him crash the car on like 280 in San yeah, Francisco and then she runs away and all that. Like there are some really great kind of action pieces involving uh, especially Kenton doing evil deeds that that uh, people, um, especially Lily escaping. She is, uh, Jamie helps her escape from like a... a mental institution that she's put in at one point like there's some there, there's some really nice bits like that the very real
0: mm-hmm. secure institution in which you just pick one window lock, super you can get people out <laughs> secure. Like, but still it's okay it's, it's okay. not that she's drunk the brief
3: so. moments of shocking violence is another uh, alex garland trademark where oh, ex machina right? annihilation yeah. uh and devs uh, i also want to throw out again drive another movie that is very slow and boring and then shockingly violent at random times that's a that's an alex garland thing for sure
0: I think it's good though because the banality of evil, like this is the thing is Kenton is is not he's not evil, he's entirely amoral. He's for hire yeah. and he's expedient. And so like um that scene in the garage with the Russian uh handler is and especially like and then I'm like I had to rewatch it because they're like, wait, the Russian handler stabbed him and he's just he's so inexorable, he's so inevitable. Kenton just never is can never be stopped. He's like a terminator practically.
1: And yet so so um banal. Right, in his dress and everything. He's just like a corporate drone who murders
4: people. And covers up crimes. Yeah, I, I would say the the most evil thing uh in the entire organization is the ergonomics of those workstations. <laughs> I, oh, I was yeah, looking man, at them that. and I was like, oh, I, "What? you can't adjust them up down anything and those keyboards like oh, that? Man, oh. Like metal keyboards. They, keyboard they, they must have such really bad RSI after just, like, a day working there. But they would have had RSI anyway. It was predetermined.
2: <laughs> and also the fact, the very first episode, this is how I knew it was fiction, besides the fact that it was on TV, <laughs> is they, they're they walking into devs, and Forrest is like, and there's no cleaning staff, but it's immaculate. Uh-huh. And y'all, oh I have worked <laughs> yeah, with a yeah. lot of developers, no. not universally known for dusting, Emptying no. the trash, <laughs> yeah. doing their dishes—that
4: that's part of the the entrance uh, requirements for working at Devs. Yes, you, you do. They they watch you and see if you pick up uh, your cups off your table. They have a lot of yeah. like yeah. cleaning
1: robots that they've built. this Roombas. This
0: reminds me that my I think my single favorite scene in the entire series maybe is when Stuart shows everyone one second in the future. And oh, it's the only God. time yeah. you see the programmers in the hole. And what I think was it's it's like the chilling moment. Like when you're looking ten minutes in the future, it's not a big deal because it's like, well, that's gonna happen, and then it happens and it's creepy. It's like a replay, but one second,
4: what a brilliant, horrible, horrible thing to show. It's like reverse space balls. <laughs> yeah, if you show a room <laughs> of developers like that, they're gonna like the first thing they're gonna do is try and break it. Yeah, and they know. right. And they don't. And it's like, so does that mean that Lily is special because she's the only one that can do it? Because every single one of those people, if that was a a room full of programmers, would be trying their best to break the loop well it's unclear because they've bought into well i don't know that's part of it but the thing
0: that i think there is a missing part is you notice there's no programmers later and it's like everyone has either fled or killed themselves honestly and i think that was <laughs> left out because no you're like this is yep. exactly the kind of thing that causes people you know in, in in every science fiction fantasy thing like people discover the horrible truth about things and they all go insane or or commit suicide and i think that might have been too much but just seeing them all absolutely freak out and then you never see any of them again. You only see Lyndon and Stuart.
4: You just need the one shot of a bloodied roomba like going back to its docking oh, station God. God.
3: Wow. with a shiv tied to the top like <laughs> with
0: duct a, tape. a crab
3: with a knife. I don't think Lily is special inherently per se in terms of why she was the one that broke the uh broke the machine, but I think it's because she is the only person who knows about devs and knows about all of the things that went into it and was not bought into the tech cult of Amaya. Everyone else there, the reason they were brought in by Forrest is because he knew they were devoted and they were able to come in and help him realize his vision without questioning anything, which is, again, why Lyndon is fired. So I feel like Lily is the only person who understands everything that was going on but didn't buy into the uh, determinism of the universe yet at that point. So I think like the other thing is that when she throws the gun, And she steps onto the elevator and they go forward. And then it's Stuart that sends the the elevator down to their deaths. Does that mean that free will is actually not real? That's how I read that. I read that as, you know, the universe is deterministic and that... Stuart is the one that made that happen and if they had a third try I believe that Lily would throw the gun uh, someone would kill Stuart or remove him from the elevator panel and something would still go go wrong the magnets
4: would fall or something so so basically we want the Groundhog Day ending (laughs) to this another episode where they spend a whole episode trying to get out of that uh, lift cut I don't know but
1: did, did Lily prove that free will is real I mean she did because she did something that they didn't see right it's not just that the thing ended and then other events happen. she did a thing that was not what they saw in the simulation which means she changed it and that led to unforeseeable future now maybe the other events after that are also free will at that point like she she sets things in motion where nobody at devs believes in free will or believes in determinism anymore because she's just broken it so i mean i could argue it that way i mean i've got a lot of headcanon about like well You know, how is it that she it's just this one decision and not like her deciding what to have for lunch or something? And the answer is, I don't know. It's about the big picture. It's sort of summing all the potential futures and they're all basically the same. But this is a moment where it's on the precipice and she makes that decision. I wondered, as they're laying there on the ground, suffocating in the perfect vacuum environment, why. uh, That's what they die. Why? Why she doesn't uh, shoot. Why? Why? What's her name? Um, uh, Katie doesn't take pick up the gun and shoot out the glass.
0: Yeah I was I had that same I was yeah. like you could they don't have a protocol for
1: evacuating the air and shoot out the glass and then shoot out the glass on the other side and then the air rushes in and they don't The, the other
0: thing we I'm confident we didn't see but was intended is Stuart is in mourning. Why is Stuart in mourning? Stuart's in mourning because he saw Lyndon die because he fast forwarded the simulation and watched Katie essentially talk Lyndon into killing himself, and mm-hmm. that's why Stuart's there. It's not because he proved he was a smart ass and he showed the predestination <laughs> of one second he's out he's been out there mourning. You see him standing in that spot for that you know long like a you know whatever period of time, and I assume he had just viewed that, but they didn't view. They didn't watch him doing that. So he may have been a sort of a secondary thing. You know, I'm not trying to read too much into the action. It's clear. Why is he there? Why is he saying the poetry? It's because he's lost someone he thought of as a child. He'd sort of already lost them because Lyndon was fired and he figured that was it. Then they come back in. Then he realizes Lyndon's dead. And that's that Stuart now trying to save the child that Forrest and Katie killed. You know, his child's dead. Forrest is killing children, essentially, in, a, in an essence, to save his own child.
4: Why didn't Lyndon get to go to the the afterlife computer world then? Only two spots available. <laughs> mm.
3: <laughs> the conversation between Katie and Lyndon on the dam is very similar to the conversation between Forrest and Lily in Devs at the very end. And the only reason that Lyndon jumped off or, like, t- trusted the world and everything and fell was because... He believed in devs and uh, determinism too much. And the reason that Lily threw away the gun is because, again, she's the only one who knows what's going on and understands or believes in free will. And the difference between the two are very different, even though the conversations are very similar. But
0: but I'd still come back to that point that we see, we know uh, in the context of the show that Katie has seen all possible outcomes and Katie knows that Lyndon dies in all possible outcomes. So Katie's presenting a situation to Lyndon as, as I'm going to prove many worlds. But Katie has seen the many worlds interpretation that Lyndon developed. That's in the machine now, and in the many worlds interpretation, Lyndon dies in every single case. So Katie is lying, not showing predestination, but showing that no matter, even if you had free will, or even if there is some change in the universe like the wind blows a different way you're still doomed and that's what happens at the end too
3: i also want to throw out the visual representation of the multiple universes is gorgeous mm-hmm. it's so cool the way that you see all these different people like in slightly different positions on a set of stairs or the different ways that linden falls or the uh, the different ways that the cars could crash and some of them they die some of them they don't it's wild the one thing i want to point out is i think the vfx on the show are not very good there was a bunch of seams that you could see, like oh, this is very obviously <laughs> like rendered, like poorly rendered. Some something about, especially the cars crashing <laughs> behind Nick Offerman as he's walking to the current version of uh, his wife and daughter dead in the car. I feel like something about the visual effects, even though the design of them and what they are conveying is really freaking cool. I thought they just weren't quite up to snuff for
1: some reason. I'm not smart enough to articulate. <laughs> <laughs> I was just say I really liked how effective the image of where they go back and and you're looking at this really noisy hazy image and trying to figure out what it is and then realizing that it's jesus on the cross and being like what are they do right like it's a great it's a, just a great reveal moment <laughs> of of what you they are doing what we thought they were doing what is this and it's a, uh, it's
0: yeah i think this is actually a reference to two but maybe at least one science fiction story there's the asimov story i think it's asimov about a prediction of the past and this professor who's trying to, Oh, I I can't remember the whole circumstance, but it's a bit where they, they're only releasing this government body has some device and they're only releasing uh, information about the past, but the distant past. And he's trying to prove that. I don't know that like Carthaginians didn't, uh, sacrifice their children and he wants to get access to the machine to choose it, but he's lost a child himself. So there's this whole, and I think it's a classic story. I don't know. I'm remembering it. And in the end, they discover in the story (laughs) that in fact, the machine doesn't predict the past very well and only predicts the future. And the government's been hiding that fact, which is sort of creepy. But uh, there's another one, there's another science fiction story by, uh, oh, I'm blanking out of his name. He's uh, uh, not George R.R. Martin, but another one. Anyway, there's another science fiction story I'm recalling that has a similar thing about, how um, somebody? It's a faint. It's a faint for the past. Everybody
1: like, at the There's a st- st- famous science fiction story that I can't come up with the name of it either. Where everybody at the crucifixion is a is a tourist from the future.
0: Oh, there's that one. Right, right. Uh, no, I'm thinking of a different one in which they use the like sort of viewing the crucifixion as this critical element to prove some uh, to some religious senator that the project's worth funding, even though it's pro- probably improbable that they could actually do that with the technology they had. So it's always it's a touch point.
1: And that, that story is, let's go to Golgotha, which is time-traveling oh, yeah. tourists on a crucifixion oh, tour. God. Wow. Um. Yeah, okay, well, you, you, so here you go. We have laid it out there. <laughs> this is what Devs is. It's fascinating. It's frustrating. I'm Before we go, I'm going to ask everybody here to tell me, knowing what you know now, <laughs> would you invest the time in eight episodes of Devs or was it not worth it for you and then and then we'll wrap it up. Aline
2: Yeah, I I liked it overall. The the ending was definitely a letdown for me, but I can I can just subscribe to the multi-universe theory and create my own <laughs> endings. So it it was it was fine. I would have preferred, you know, go out with a bang. I I could think of endings that i feel like would be much more satisfying but it didn't like ruin the experience for me all
3: right brian i was always going to watch this show no no, no. um i think that i enjoyed the ride enough to want to have watched this i love alex garland so i was always going to watch it and i guess i'm immune to disappointing endings I don't know. I, I, I'm I'm seeing a trend of, like, I didn't mind the ending of Game of Thrones. I didn't mind the ending of Episode Nine of Star Wars. I didn't mind the ending of Last of Us 2. I guess I'm just immune to, like, weak-ish endings. I think there's still value to the show, um, and I still think there's interesting things to talk about, despite the fact
1: that the ending just kind of floundered. Brian knows that the journey is the reward. Glenn?
3: Uh,
0: I, I, I'm not even joking when I say I was always going to watch this show. <laughs> Partly out of duty, but partly out of pleasure. I I would say that even I would definitely watch, I definitely don't feel the time was wasted. And, and I feel that way because every episode I watch and I did kind of binge it over a few days. So I think I watched like two or three hours and chunks of it. Uh, so it was a little more, maybe not cinematic, but it flowed together a bit more. And I got contrasts between different feelings of the episode. But the minute I started watching, it was like, this is something special and different. It was so beautiful and interesting to watch. And I, you know at the end of each episode i'm like oh my god i've got to watch the next thing so i didn't flounder on it so even with that ending in mind i would find it hard i would find it hard to advise somebody else to say oh this really compelling thing you're watching that's really beautiful and is is interesting and brings up new ideas no you should stop watching it and so i would give that same advice to myself mm-hmm. backwards in time i and i have watched parts of it again i've kind of skipped over that ending part, but I've uh, I've watched some of the last two episodes to sort of capture a little more of the nuance. I
1: liked them uh, again already. James, I think I know what your answer is, but maybe you'll surprise me. You
4: have free will. I will. I am going to throw away that gun. Um, no, I, uh, when I was talking to a friend, <laughs> she said, is it good? And I said, well, you should watch it. And she said, but is it good? And I was like, you should watch it because <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to discuss it. Because I think at that point there weren't many of us who had watched it. Yeah, it, it's it's like I I the show annoyed me in a variety of ways. I really like Alex Garland. And, you know, I, um, I was going to watch that anyway, as, as Brian and Every said. But um, even though it annoyed me, I am glad that I watched it. Uh, if for no other reason than I get to sit down with the lot of you and discuss it.
3: Oh. Yeah, if you like any part of this show... I would recommend I I can't recommend Ex Machina and Annihilation enough.
4: Yeah, I I really love Ex Machina, so uh I would say watch that first. Mm. And
1: I uh I feel much the same way uh, as as most of you. I I think it was worth watching even though I was disappointed by the ending because of all the very interesting things about it. I love somebody who is Uh, Taking big swings. I mentioned it at the top, written and directed by Alex Garland. This is his show. This is the closest I think you're going to come to having a science fiction novel on television where it is the vision of the creator from start to finish. Like, I mean, obviously, novelists create everything and you've got the cinematographers and actors and all that, but like, writer and director allows Alex Garland to tell the story that he wants to tell in the way he wants to tell it. And even though I didn't like how this ended, I say again, more like this, please. I would love brilliant creators to be given five to 10 hours on a streaming channel to tell a science fiction story like this. That is all the things I love about science fiction in terms of critiquing our present and our present institutions and asking big philosophical questions. Like all of that stuff is in here, even though there are points where I thought, no, mm -mm, no, (laughs) especially at the end. I'm glad that I watched it, and I hope that there are more things like this sometime. I doubt there will be because what could be like this? It's so strange. But I hope, in general, um, we see more stuff. This is a great use of streaming media to let somebody like Alex Garland tell a story in this way. So I'm glad FX on Hulu allowed him to do
2: that. I think um, the Loop, which is I think an Amazon original, yep. has some of the same feel to Tales it. from also, the Loop, right? Tales from the Loop, yeah, it's. It's also a kind of a slow, surreal collection of stories rather than you know one one arc like this is. But if you liked, um, if you liked Devs, the Loop might also uh, Tales from the Loop might be something to
4: try. And it has a a Philip Glass soundtrack.
3: (laughs) Oh yes,
0: I watched the first episode of the Loop and I loved it and hated it. So I need to watch more of it because it was so it was like ten times slower than this. (laughs) But was that bad? It was so gorgeous. It just made me feel all kinds of things. Hmm. There's also, by the way, Upload at Amazon, which is very different in tone. It has shocking moments of uh, of uh, almost pornographic sexuality in the middle, which is fun when you're watching it with your kids nearby and you don't realize oh. that it contains those <laughs> scenes. Um, it's funny how you have this series of shows, so upla- upla- Upload, uh, Tales from the Loop, and um, Devs all kind of thinking in different ways about the continuation of Consciousness or nature of reality and...
4: Westworld season three as well is all about determinism yes. and things <laughs> right. like that. True. So
0: maybe we're all thinking about that right now in terms of our lives. Mm. Uh, yeah.
3: Maybe so. I, I also want to throw out uh, Mr. Robot, which is much faster oh, paced, but another uh tech thriller uh mystery show that also asks the big questions. And the
1: mm-hmm. la- and the last season of Mr. Robot, there is an episode that toys with a lot of the same ideas as the last episode <laughs> of Dev's <laughs> And I would say with a much better resolution yes. there, I said it, but I'll say no more. You should watch Mr. Robot. It's great. All right. Uh, that wraps up this episode of The Incomparable. I would like to thank my guests one last time. Aline Sims, thank you for being here. Thank you. Brian Hamilton, thank you. Who is Mark Antony? Guess. Glenn Fleishman. you were fated to be here.
0: Uh, I'll be back again
4: yesterday to record again. And At- James Thompson, thank you for joining us. I, too, have read code that made me violently ill. (laughs) (laughs)
1: And just a reminder to everybody out there who's reached this point, podcast at com is the email address you will use to tell us all the ways we got it wrong and didn't understand how it was supposed to end and what it really meant and why if we had just understood it, we would have appreciated it more. I know those emails are coming. Um, And to everyone out there, regardless of that, thank you for listening, and we'll see you next week.